In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. In the name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Please be seated. What does it mean to be salt or light? Our gospel passage continues Christ's famous Sermon on the the Mount, which we heard the first section of last weekend. In that section, Jesus pronounced blessings upon those who are meek, merciful, peaceful, and other characteristics which describe his disciples. Now he shifts from the third person to the second. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He does not say you should be salt or light. He rather says what you are. In what ways are we salt and light to the world? And how do we live as salt and light? Salt is not just a wonderful seasoning for our food or helpful for melting icy Oklahoma roads. It's vitally important. Your body requires a certain amount of salt. Too much or too little, and your health will suffer. Even the earth needs salt. If you want to have a healthy garden or grow good crops, you will probably use fertilizers, which are rich in a variety of salts. Having the right amount of salt in the ground produces better plants. Salt, of course, is also a preservative, such as when we cure meats to keep them from spoiling. St. Hilary talked about this nature of salt in, I think, a very helpful way, kind of almost saying the opposite. Salt imparts resistance to corruption. I like that. Those of us who follow Jesus are salt to the earth. For the earth and its people to be healthy, The salt of Christian discipleship is necessary. Our presence in the world should season the lives of those around us and make our life on earth and everyone else's more palatable. We are called to preserve the good and impart resistance to corruption. But what if salt goes bad? What if it gets dissolved or watered down? I like the King James translation here of loses its savor, becoming unsavory. Do you want to spend much time with an unsavory Christian? What good will an unsavory Christian have upon the world? It's not worth much. It doesn't certainly help to be healthy and vibrant. If our faith in Jesus becomes watered down by worldly desires we become foolish and unsavory in our behavior, how can we help benefit the world? Well, like salt, light is also necessary for the health and well-being of God's creation. Jesus says not only that his disciples are light in the world, but in John's gospel we know that Jesus is the true light that came into the world. And it's his light that shines through his followers, through you and me. You may recall that in our tradition, when we baptize someone, we typically hand them a candle, which we light from the Paschal candle, the Christ candle. 
We implore them to receive the light of Christ and to let their good works so shine before men that they may glorify their Father who is in heaven. Quoting this exact passage. But just as Jesus warned us against being unsavory, he reminds us that our light is not meant to be hidden from the world. We don't put a lamp in a closet and close the door with no one in it. The light of Jesus within us is not meant to be seen only within the confines of our homes or our church. God does not ask for our good works in order that we may show God that we are good, but rather that we may show God to the world. Our faith and our experience of God is deeply personal, but it's also necessary for the health and well-being of the world around us. You are salt. You are light. The question then becomes, how do we understand what that means? How do we live as salt and light? Fulfilling these roles that God has given us. What Jesus says next seems like a complete change of subject. He's gone from talking about salt and light to not destroying the law. And to fulfill it and calling for our righteousness. He's actually making a very important point. Twice, indeed, he says in verse 17, that he has not come to destroy the law or the prophets. God's law, he says, is yet intact and will remain so until heaven and earth themselves pass away. Rather, he fulfills it, completes it. Jesus fulfills many aspects of the law, especially its moral and religious requirements through his life and death. And he will yet again fulfill all the promises of God when he returns. In the meantime, Jesus says that the scriptures are all important. God's commands are not optional. Jesus will tell his disciples this in the Great Commission when he tells them to go to all nations, baptizing, making disciples, and teaching them to obey all that he commanded. Even the least commandment is significant. And then hear the challenge at the end of our passage. That our righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. That sounds challenging. But if we were to read just a bit further, we would hear Jesus begin to explain what he means. When he moves beyond, thou shalt not murder, to an understanding that we should not seek to harm or hurt others call them a fool, but rather that we should seek reconciliation and repentance. Reminding us that we are salt and light, Jesus calls our attention to the scriptures because the scriptures are what tell us and inform us how we are salt and light and how to live that way. He guides us to consider all of scripture. Where does your knowledge and exposure of the Bible come from? How do you know God's word? If you're relying primarily on attending church every week, here's some things you might want to know. During a three-year cycle of our lectionary, if you attend every service, you will still hear less than 50% of the New Testament. If we were to add an Old Testament reading every week, you would hear less than 8% of it. If our clergy were diligent never to preach on the same passage, Twice in a six-year 
plan, so once the epistle reading and once the gospel, it would take you six years of every week attendance at church to hear some amount of each passage explained. And only half of the New Testament at that. Our Anglican tradition has relied heavily, historically, on the daily offices for your exposure to Scripture. Whether you follow the 28 prayer book or the 79, if you did the daily office, morning and evening prayer every day, you would read nearly all of the Bible in either one or two years. Most of us probably don't do that. But we have to engage it somehow. Father Matthew Olver, whom some of you are familiar with, wrote a few years ago that the prayerful reading and knowledge of Scripture is one of the most basic building blocks of Christian prayer love, and holiness. The daily offices are a great option, but it's not the only one. Attend a Sunday school class. Join a discipleship group. Men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, various Bible studies all around. Read the Bible on your own. Have someone else read it to you. Use the Bible as an audio book. Find a way to engage the scriptures more regularly. Or perhaps as Lent approaches, you can take on a spiritual discipline during Lent to engage your scripture more. It's an interesting analogy that I've used uh, in other sermons before. People who look for counterfeit money don't study all the ways that you can make money the wrong way. They spend a lot of time very closely studying the actual bill. They know it so well that when they see something that isn't how the bill is supposed to be made, they can recognize the difference. What if we as Christians were so familiar with our scriptures, so familiar with what God's word says, we would then recognize it when something is off? Spend more time with the real thing instead of all the other things that it could be. The world needs you, needs each of us to be salt light. So let us equip ourselves to serve in those roles through regular and ongoing engagement with God and his word. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.